Hi, welcome to Titanium Talk. My name is Jason Neen. One of the questions that I get asked a lot is how I get work. How do I get business? Uh, specifically in the Titanium and Accelerator space. So I wanted to share some of the things that I've done over the years to help promote myself, to help get awareness out there. There's a lot of luck involved in this process. There's a lot of good timing, but there's probably some takeaways here that you could use if you're looking for work and looking for work building Titanium apps and Accelerator apps. So a very quick backstory. I came from a sort of tinkering background when I was a kid, I used to play with Amigas and Commodore 64s and, and used to play around coding apps. And back then you were coding in, I was coding in basic and there, were, there was no sort of UE there was no visual UE for developing apps. Everything was being coded by hand. And I remember writing on my Amiga, you know, how to drawing buttons by hand and drawing menus and having to do all the little pop-outs of sub-menus and things like that. It was a really, you know, manual time of doing everything. Basically, I used to build apps for fun. Um, and one of the first, I originally trained as an architect, so there was a bit of a, a shift. Basically, I got into space planning using a product called AutoCAD. And AutoCAD let you draw CAD drawings of floors, and I wrote something that interacted with this Clipper database. It was a DOS-based product that ran on 386 machines, uh, 386 PCs at the time. And I wrote an app using uh, Microsoft Access that could hack into that database and basically manipulate the data so that you could manipulate the drawings when they reloaded. And it was all about space planning. Um, so that's what got me into sort of commercial coding. From there, I went to work for a consultancy in London and I was using .NET, ASP. Well, at the time, actually, I was using ASP. Um, so I was writing Visual Basic uh, and Visual Basic ASP websites. I was doing some HTML, doing a little bit of JavaScript, and I was sort of in a technical sales role. So I used to help do demos that would help us get the big business um, for financial banks and, and things like that. From there, about, it was 2000, so yeah, 99, 2000, we started the first version of Bouncing Fish. So my wife and I, we met at this company and we basically decided to go contracting. So we started a company that we could handle everything through, a limited company, and we started doing web development. And the stuff we focused on was ASP, it was Visual Basic, it was writing, uh, I remember, Visual Basic DLLs that could then get invoked by active server pages, by ASP pages, writing all this stuff using Windows 2000 and the new Visual Studio.net that had come out. And we were building lots of web apps. We were writing content management systems, we were writing um, full web applications, websites, etc. That went on for about nine years. Good business going, we had about 13 people, had an office in London. The crash happened in 2007. And that really affected us. It really damaged the business. We lost lots of big projects, lots of big clients, and it really destroyed the business in a sense. And we limped on for a little bit. And 2009, I had to shut that business down. By that time, it was pretty much just me working. Um, we'd, had, we'd got married, had our first child. And so I was um, focusing on just supporting some existing clients and doing some web stuff. So it was in that year, 2009, that I was getting into Twitter and I got approached by somebody to do a full-time job um, so I took this job. It was a technical director role in an agency. And I worked there for a couple of years, left there and went to work for another company managing a web team of Ruby developers. That was much more of a, a management role. It wasn't really a technical role, as in I wasn't coding, uh, although I was sort of helping set up you know, VMs and things like that. Now, in the previous job for the agency, I'd picked up Titanium. So this was around 2010. Um, so 2010, I started playing with Titanium Developer when it was the Titanium Developer app. And you used to code everything with, you know, whatever editor that you were using. And that came about because I was trying to mess around with Xcode. And I was trying to mess around with Objective-C. And I really couldn't get my head around it at the time. 
And one of the developers that I worked with said he was playing with this thing called Titanium. So I started playing with it and I was able to build an app like in an afternoon really, really quickly. So I loved it, got into it. And that's what I was focusing on in my spare time to learn how to write these apps. Meantime, I was working for this agency. Then obviously I, went, I left there and went to work for this other company. In my spare time, I kept doing this thing on the side. I kept, I was a Titan. I kept writing open source um, code and open source modules with Titanium and, and trying to be part of the community. But I was working you know, full-time in a job. Uh, we were renting a house and that was me. You know, that was my working day. I was driving two hours back and forth um, to Windsor where this company was located. Around 2012, so 2012 was the sort of year I'd had enough of all this and I sort of felt like I wanted to go back and work for myself again. I was spending far too much time commuting um, and I really wanted to get back into working for myself and doing some freelance. And the natural thing for me to do was build apps. So I was building Titanium apps on the side and I got approached by somebody to do um, some app development for fitness apps. Um, so I did a few hours, you know, each evening, uh, the best I could to do these apps and work on these apps. But eventually, towards the end of the year, they basically said to me, can you go full time? Um, but can you, only, can you go full time for at least three months? It was a three month contract. Now, at this point, we're sort of renting a house. I've got three kids. We've got bills to pay. But, you know, I was unhappy what I was doing. I was traveling for four, over four hours a day, getting home really late, tired all the time, and just not earning the money that I wanted to earn, and not being able to really advance anything in our lives as a result. So I took the deal, three-month contract, and I figured this was my chance to make this work. This was my chance to basically, I was already unhappy in a job. This is my chance to make this work, develop apps, turn it into a new business, and see what happens. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but I've got three months to get my next piece of work. So I did, some, I did some very simple things to start with, and this is almost like the first tip that I'd give. The website that we had for Bouncing Fish, which is the name of the company, was a very agency-driven website. It was, you know, lots of we. We are an agency. We do this. We do that. That website had been around for years, even though I sort of shut that initial version of the business down. Never really got any inquiries. I mean, in the time when we ran the first business, we had a salesperson and we went out and got work and we cold called and we did all that sort of stuff. It was a, it was a hard, it was hard work to get to get business. Um, we got some referrals, but a lot of the time we were going out there getting work and bidding for work on tenders and things like that. So I needed to revamp the website. I wanted to, you know, SEO really didn't matter at the time. It wasn't really being found. And I wanted to use the same name, use the same company, but I needed to redo the website. So one of the key things I did was I thought, if I mess around trying to update this, you know, big website and put items of work that I've done and all this sort of stuff in there. It's just going to take too long and I'm never going to get this done. It's going to be this ongoing uh, battle to get this first version of the website done. So I ditched the entire site. I, at the time, used, and I still do, used Twitter Bootstrap. Um, I bought a $20 template, which I modified because I wasn't really happy with the default layout. And I decided to do two pages. I was going to do a home page and a contact page or an about page at the time. So it was a home page and about page. Contact details were in the footer. So I focused on writing content just for those two pages because I figured once I've got this thing up, I can tweak it and I can add to it. I don't need to, you know, have this constant project in draft mode. So I put these two pages up and I put my initial content up. And the initial content I put up, and if you go to the website, pretty much the content that's there is, is almost the same as it was when it first went up in 2000. It was New Year's Day, 2013, it went live. 
uh, and I kept it really simple and I kept it personal. And one of the things I learned when we had the first business was, and it's a common thing in sales, is that people buy people. Um, people, you know, you go to a meeting, you get on with the person that you're talking to, you win business because they like you and they want to work with you. So I felt like the website definitely had to be a personal thing. I didn't want to say we are. Even though the company name is Bouncing Fish, it's not Jason Neen Limited or anything. You know, it's not me, Jason Neen Apps or anything. It's Bouncing Fish. But I wanted to to make it clear that it was me and I'm a freelancer. So if you read the website, you'll see that there's a few things that I do that are quite important. Number one, I've got a photo of myself. It's a nice cheesy, smiley photo. It's putting a face to a name so that people can see who you are and what you look like. I have an opening statement that I say what I do. And you'll notice in the opening statement, I don't mention Titanium and Accelerator. You'll see in the website that I do mention Titanium and Accelerator, but I don't say that I use those particular tools. And that's another important thing. When it comes to clients looking for work, when clients are looking for apps, they don't care what it's written in. They have a requirement. I've tweeted about this before, but they, they need a, what they think is a native app. And everybody has their own opinion of a native app. At the end of the day, it's what users think of as a native app that makes a native app. Developers can argue to their blue in the face that, nope, a native app is written in Swift or a native app is written in Objective-C or a native app is written in Java. But at the end of the day, if users end up calling Electron apps, like the Slack app, a native app because it's downloaded from the app store and it appears that it works in a native way, even though we think it doesn't and we believe it doesn't and it definitely doesn't, then that's what they'll use as the term native app. Okay. So the terminology can change between people, but what they think they want is a native app. They want it on iOS. They want it on Android. Um, they don't they don't detail the fact that they want it written in Objective-C or Swift or anything like that. They just want an app. So you'll notice on the website that what I did was I sell what I do. I build native cross-platform apps. I don't talk about the specifics. If the specifics come up, I mention it, of course. And I've probably had one person, one project, um, one inquiry in the last three years, probably two since I started going full-time that have that have actually come back when I said that I do you know, Titanium and Accelerator. They've said, oh, yeah, we don't want to use that. And then that's not gone any further. Literally, two projects. And I probably get 10 to 20 inquiries a week in terms of new projects. So that was one thing I did. The other thing I did is I was very clear about what I do, where I do it, um, where I'm based, without trying to play the SEO game, but just trying to be, just trying to write the content very naturally. Um, on the about page, I write all about my history. So you can read all about my history with Amigas and Commodore 64s and things like that. And that's important as well, because again, it creates a little backstory for people. And I still get people who, you know, approach me with new work, who comment on stuff. You know, oh, well, I used to have an Atari ST or I used to have an Amiga, etc. It creates that little backstory and helps them get to know you a bit better, realize you've got a family. Some of it can look very cutesy and very corny and very cheesy. But believe me, it works. It helps. So I got the website set up uh, with those two pages. And... I started work on this three-month contract, and it was only a couple of days a week, two and a half days a week. I was probably working on this particular project. And the inquiry started to come in about two weeks later. So this brand new website that I put up saying what I do, I started to get inquiries for apps. There was a medical app that came in to do drug management for Android tablets. Um, there was some. There was an app for, I think the Stonehenge app might have come around that time, but it might have been a little bit later. So these inquiries started to come in. Now, the three-month contract didn't extend. It, it didn't go any further. That was the end of it after three months, and I'd finished those apps. 
But by that time, I'd already picked up enough work, including some retainer work, to keep going. And the nature of what I was doing meant that because I was a freelancer, I was charging you know a higher hourly rate than I was employed before. Uh, employed for before, I was able to work for you know less hours a week and still earn the same amount of money, or more hours a week and earn more money. So it all worked out quite nicely. From that point on. I haven't had to look for work. I haven't had to beg for work. I haven't had to say I'm available for work. The website has literally worked for me. Now, there's a few other things, though, that were key to getting to this point. Obviously, timing is a, is a massive thing here and, and lots of luck. One of the things I always wanted to do when I was working in these other jobs is I wanted to speak at conferences. I wanted to sort of have a go at speaking. It still frightens me now and scares me now when I do it. And I'm always nervous when I do it. But I just love the idea of sort of standing in conferences and, and being one of those people that present and talk about what they do and talk about the tools they use and the things they build and, and the projects they've worked on and help other people. It was around March, I think, 2013. And I saw on Twitter somebody had who was running a Dutch mobile conference uh, had a speaker drop out and they were looking for someone. And it's it's That's where the luck comes in. This is where an opportunity comes in. It's opportunities come along like this. And it's something that I always wanted to do, wanted to have a go at, see if I could do it. The opportunity comes along and I just thought, when am I going to get this chance again? You know, this is somebody who needs some help. Not guaranteed he's even going to accept me, but I'll reply. So I said, hey, I can do it. I can talk about cross-platform mobile apps. Within a few minutes, we'd agreed, yep, that's what's going to happen. And I was on the list. I was on the speaker list. So... From that point on, I had a month to learn how to speak at conferences, and I had a month um, to produce a, de- a, a you know a, a presentation that I could show. So it was you know pressurizing and it was scary and everything, but I did that. And what happens when you speak at a conference and when you get on that circuit? And this is why you see a lot of um, speakers at conferences in different conferences. It's the same people. They might be doing the same talk or a variation of that talk or a brand new talk, but it's usually that same circuit of speakers. And what happens, what tends to happen is that one conference that's doing something on JavaScript will need some speakers. They'll obviously put out a call for papers for people to apply to speak, but they'll also look at other conferences and other speakers who have spoken and could invite those as well um, just to get that initial list going. So once I'd got onto that, that sort of list and once I'd you know, done that first talk, I started doing other talks at other conferences and I was asked to speak at other things. Um, I did the TI Conf stuff. Um, that Boydley used to run. Um, I did um, uh, one in London, um, the App Developer Conference. And so what happens is you start to get your name out there. You start to get recognition in a way because people are aware of you because they've seen your name and seen you on these lists. I would definitely get involved with meetups, get involved with talking at meetups, get involved with conferences, write some, you know, apply to some of these conferences with a with a paper on something that you want to do a presentation on or talk about because if you can get that sort of experience and get on that sort of circuit it will really help get your name out there and get you known the other thing that helped at the time was that about six months maybe six or eight months in um, towards the end of that year I, I got approached by packet publishing and packet publishing are a company who approach authors and um Uh, some people hate them because they just sort of um, contact you via LinkedIn and ask if you want to write books. They don't pay you. I mean, you get paid a very small amount of money and you get paid a very small commission. But when they asked me to write the second edition of the cookbook that Boydley wrote, and that was really the first um, book for titanium development, 
I decided to do it not because I wanted the money, because the money was was, was almost nothing. It was for the again the experience. I liked the idea of writing a book. I also realised what that could mean in terms of status, in terms of saying you're a published author. It sounds really silly. It sounds very egotistical, but it's all about adding those strings to the to your bow so that you look you know experienced you look well known you look established and it helps again get work uh, it took me a couple of years to write the book um, due to various issues but i basically um, got this book out and it's still sold today and it's still mentioned today and it covers classic titanium and it covers modules and it covers um, I, I revamped it to update all the code because it was quite old and a lot of the code was based on a really early sdk and I wrote a whole chapter on alloy and some other stuff in there as well. So um, I think it was a pretty good, a pretty good outcome, and uh, it seemed to go down quite well in terms of reviews and things. But again, that was just another thing I could put on my profile. So that really helped. That again got me known out there by a few people. There were there were companies that were using that book for their developers, who then were able to say, "Oh, let's contact this guy and see if he can help us out with anything." Another big thing that I did was the the open source contributions. So writing modules, writing uh, libraries, libraries like Resty, Tith, Titch, all these crazy names. This is all stuff that I use when I'm building apps, but obviously other people do too. And I still get weird situations where I forget that this stuff gets used. And I had a client come to me who wanted some help with an app. Um, I get a copy of their source code. It's always great when it's alloy because it's just much better to work with. And I'm suddenly building this app and running it. And all of a sudden I'm seeing Resty logs going by. And I realized they're using my library, which is awesome. Um, and I had another company in the States who contacted me. And when I went through their code, they, we were on a call and they said, um, oh, yeah, we're using a library. We're using an open source library called Tith to change the theme. And it's like, yep, I know that when I wrote it, um, which they didn't realize. And so it was quite weird as well. So, again, getting your name out there is, is part of that. Getting known is part of that. You know, being a titan, being a contributor to these open source projects. Uh, writing blog posts. You know, I do obviously do some work for Accelerator and I help them out with blog posts and with some developer evangelism. But if I wasn't doing it for Accelerator, I'd probably still be writing those blog posts. I'd just be putting them on my you know Medium page. So I would still be contributing and writing those blog posts. I'd still be doing open source modules. I'd still be contributing in that way. Another important thing to do is look at things like LinkedIn. And LinkedIn is one of those things that gets a lot of criticism. I see lots of people on Twitter complaining about LinkedIn. It's very spammy. It's like Facebook. It's full of people saying how they get up at four o'clock in the morning and meditate for two hours before they go to work. LinkedIn for me has worked. Uh, I have had probably two of the most lucrative contracts I ever had through LinkedIn. And those cl that client who gave me one of those contracts, I never met. I never spoke to them on a phone or on Skype for two years of into working for them that was the first time we'd actually spoken it was all done through im or done through email but they approached me through linkedin and i ended up getting sort of two years worth of work out of them so linkedin has paid for itself you know many many times over a couple of things i did on linkedin that helped i think firstly getting my page updated with all my profile and portfolio um, getting an opening statement working nobody reads the full profiles on linkedin they don't because i put at the bottom of my profile don't contact me if you're an outsource company and then outsource companies always do so no one reads the full profile so it's really important to load up that first part that people will read with what you do what you work on who you've worked for what sort of things you do put some example projects up there put some images and things like that get that subtitle as well right if you look at my profile on linkedin I say exactly what I do in the subtitle. And I mention Titanium and Accelerator because I know that 
on LinkedIn, certain people will be actually searching for those keywords. So one of the things I did is I went on LinkedIn and I looked for titanium developer or freelance app developer. And I started doing searches and I saw what came back. And you just end up copying people. You end up looking at their profiles and seeing what, you know, why are they appearing above me when I'm I'm saying the right words, but then you realize you're not putting the right words in the right place. You're not putting it in your subtitle. So there's lots of little things you can do there to improve uh, your searchability or your findability, whatever you want to call it, on LinkedIn. The other thing that I did is I paid for a LinkedIn account. Um, you can pay anywhere from, I think it's £50 up to sort of £400 as a job seeker. And that puts you on different lists. It puts you in front of different people. It puts you in front of recruiters. It puts you in a much more prominent position in search results, in my experience anyway, just based on the number of profile hits I get and the contact I get for work. So LinkedIn has been a really it's been a huge asset for me in terms of the work that it's got. It's also, you know, I get a lot of spam. I get a lot of rubbish through LinkedIn, but overall I'm up. <laughs> overall, I get more work and I've had more work come in through LinkedIn than I've been bothered by spam and other things because it's very easy to ignore. One of the other things that I did recently, I think it was last year, might've been year before, um, was I added something called Intercom to my website. And Intercom is really interesting. It's one of these instant chat things that you might go to a website and see the little bubble. If you've been to the Accelerator site, you'll, you, you would have seen it there. It's a little chat bubble that pops up and it gives you, um, whether it's updated news or it could be you know asking if you need support and things like that. And I didn't want to be too um, aggressive or intrusive with my website, but I wanted to see, you know, it's always interesting looking at analytics and looking at things and, and wondering where the work comes from and how people find you. So Intercom is set up on my website. I can't remember what I pay, something like 50 or $70 a month or something like that for the different options. And it works that when you hit my website for the first time, the bubble will appear after a few seconds and it will just come up with a little opening statement saying, you know, hi, you know, I'm Jason. I develop apps. Can I help with anything? Now, most of the time people realize, although some people don't, that this is an automated thing. It's an automated message. Obviously, you're not sitting there monitoring your website in real time. But it is interesting because I have the Intercom app on my phone and I had two come in today, actually, uh, where, you know, the, the message comes up saying, you know, can I help? And I get a response back saying, yeah, I'm looking for an app. And because you get that push notification on your phone, you can instantly respond. So I can, and the automated messages will then ask them for their email. Sometimes they don't fill it in the right place. So I update that because then they get the notifications. And again, I've got plenty of work, um, significant work through Intercom. You know, the initial conversations happen there. I've qualified them. And then we followed it up via email, maybe a phone call, even a meeting, uh, which are rare. Um, and then, you know, got on with the project. So that's another thing that you can do. Add that to your website. Also, one of the things you'll notice on my website is I've I've added things like, you know, speaking things that I've done and any upcoming things that I'm doing. I also did a, a mobile page and that was really just a test of sort of local SEO to, try, to see if I could, you know, focus um, on particular local searches. And that's another important one that I forgot to mention earlier. When you think about development, um, we live in a world now, I had the conversation with someone today, where, you know, to be a developer, you don't need to be in an office. You don't need to be located in America. I, I've got plenty of American clients and I'm thousands of miles away from them. Um, you can work from anywhere. We can do this job from, you know, a coffee shop or our office or bed. You know, it's very easy. However, when people are searching, and again, this goes back to the sales thing. This goes back to people liking people, people wanting to have that connection with someone. There are certain people out there who want to have a face-to-face -face meeting. They want to be able to come and see you. They want to be able to, you know, see what you're like and see whether they're going to be able to work with you, see whether they can trust you. So just like 
when you're searching for things like a plumber, obviously a plumber has to be physically located at your house to do work or your office. But when people are doing those searches, they're searching locally. They're, they're typing in a key phrase and they're adding a local area. So they might say, you know, freelance developer, in my case, Wiltshire, or freelance developer, Hampshire, um, or freelance developer in a town name. And you want to be able to come up with those results. So I made sure on my website, I put the areas that I work within. Now, obviously, I could work anywhere, but I wanted to sort of cover London and Wiltshire and Hampshire and the areas around the southwest of England. Um, And it's interesting because I've got a lot of inquiries through from local towns like Salisbury and like... uh, uh, and obviously London and, and Bath and places like that, that come because they did that local search. So that's another important thing to do, you know, focus on that locality thing, even though nine times out of 10, you'll work in, you know, in a remote way and never meet the person anyway. But it's, it's a useful thing to have on your website. Now, when it comes to trying to get work in a specific area, so you're specifically looking for contracts that are Accelerator or Titanium, that's a different situation. I mean, you need to search for those jobs potentially, look on job boards, um, look for people that are tendering or looking for cross-platform app development. And, you know, a lot of those apps, a lot of those job ads will usually say specifically, you know, what they're looking to implement, something like Accelerator or something like React or, or whatever. Um, you know, they'll have that detail in the job advert. But I, you know, before my freelance stuff, when I was looking for a job, obviously I was going through job boards and things like that. But I don't, I don't need to do that anymore. I don't need to do that because, again, I'm focusing on delivering a result. I'm delivering a cross-platform, you know, native mobile app. The fact that I use Titanium, the fact that I use Accelerator is irrelevant, really, because those are the tools that I, I personally think are the best tools right now for developing cross, cross-platform mobile apps. And those are the, the ones that I use. Um, and and so I focus on delivering an end result to the client. You know, I'm going to build you a cross-platform native app. I'm going to write code base that's going to be 90%, 90% plus coverage of iOS and Android. Um, you know, Windows is a pretty much a dead platform. I'd forget about that. I, I never get an inquiry for Windows Mobile. Um, and that's what I focus on. And, you know, the clients are happy when they get the end result. The app feels native. It works natively. Uh, as far as they're concerned, they get the performance that they expected out of a native app. I've hit the requirements that they want. Everyone's happy. Now, obviously, this isn't going to work for everybody. You know, I, it's very easy to say, oh, you know, this is everything that I did. You should do it too. There's a lot of luck. There's a lot of self-promotion. There's a lot of circumstance that can happen that puts me in the position that I'm in now. Um, and I'm always conscious and very grateful of where, you know, what I'm doing. And I'm always conscious that it could you know, stop tomorrow and I could be looking for work. Um, at the moment, it's not really, that's not happening. And I'm getting enough inquiries in and I've got enough retainer work going on that, you know, everything's, everything's pretty cool. Um, but the worst case scenario is, you know, you need to get out there and look for those jobs. You need to look on Twitter. You need to look on LinkedIn. You need to look at job boards. You need to look in the jobs um, channel on TI Slack because there's plenty of people there that need help. And, and you know, I've found work um, for other people and I've recommended other people for work when I've seen them on Twitter. You know, just doing a simple search for Accelerator or Titanium um, or Titanium Developer or Accelerator Developer on Twitter, you can usually find people that are looking for help. Um, there's even websites like Code Mentor. Uh, and stuff like that. I had an inquiry through that the other day for somebody who wants some one-to-one help with an accelerator app. So the work is out there. You can get the work. It's just how you're going about it. 
And what I see are people who are potentially saying, oh, you know, I can't find work at the moment, or I'm looking for a job, or I'm looking for a working titanium and accelerator. And when you actually look at their website, when you actually look at what they're looking for, they're being very, very specific about what they do. And I don't think, from my own experience, that if I had a website that said, I build apps with titanium and I build apps with accelerator, that it would make sense to a lot of the people that are clicking on my website and looking for help and finding me on Google. Because those people aren't looking necessarily, there are some, but the majority of them are not looking for a titanium developer or an accelerated developer. They're looking for a freelance developer because they don't want to pay big companies. They're looking for a freelance developer who may be based in the UK, in my case, or based around London or whatever, but they're just looking for a freelance developer who can build them a mobile app. And that's what they're looking for. And that's what you need to focus on, on your website. By all means, mention what you do, what tools you use. And this is the same for a web developer. I spoke to somebody on Twitter the other day. Uh, He's a Django developer, and he wanted some advice on how he could get work. Um, And obviously, completely unrelated to Accelerator and Titanium, but I basically talked him through my history and talked him through what I did. Because everything that I've done and I do and I did is still applicable whether it's Titanium or not. So I said to him, you know, have you got any open source stuff that you've done? And he's like, not really. Right, get some open source libraries written. It doesn't have to be huge. Some of my libraries are like three lines of code, um, but they do something useful. So get some open source stuff written, write some blog posts, tweet about it, tweet links to your blog posts, get involved in conversations, get into groups, join meetups, go to meetups, talk at meetups, get into some lightning round talks that they might do at some of these meetups, Um, submit some papers to conferences, Um, you know, find some Django conferences or web development conferences and write something cool, do something cool, and then submit that as as a talk to that particular conference. Get your name out there, um, you know, I mean, I got approached to write a book. Yes, I could still write a book if I wanted to. You know, you can self you can self uh, publish books nowadays. Whether you do that, you know, through an Amazon service or through iBooks or whatever, or just through a blog post, you can you know you can do this stuff and you can publish articles, you can write blog posts, you can do podcasts. Um, it's all about trying to get your name out there, trying to get noticed, uh, noticed, trying to get you know. Get your name on the list so that that name keeps nagging at people. They keep seeing that name popping up and popping up. And that's how I ended up speaking at the uh, the app conference in London because somebody kept seeing my name popping up on LinkedIn or something. And so I got approached and asked, do, I, you, know, do you want to talk? And I, I talked about Titanium and cross-platform app development, naturally. Um, so just take those chances. And if those chances come along where people need someone to speak at a conference, go for it, you know, take it. Uh, it's all going to give you good experience it's all going to help you it's going to get your name out there it's going to get you noticed and hopefully it could lead to more work Um, like I said before there's no magic bullet I don't have a secret source on this I've just got the experience I've got and I hope that I've given some insight into that in this episode I know I've jumped around a little bit um, but I hope it's explained a few things if anybody has any questions if they've got any um specific questions they want to ask or problems they've got around these sorts of subjects, then please get in touch on Twitter or in Slack. Happy to advise, happy to help, and any questions I could feed back on this and talk about in another episode. Um, So I hope you enjoyed that. I hope it's been useful. I hope you can take away some aspects or some tips from that that might help you um, get more work and get, you know, more app development work. Um, Please, you know, rate the podcast, leave comments, leave a review, contact me and, and ask any specific questions and I'll, um, I'll 
deal with them in a follow-up post or a follow-up podcast or a blog post and see if I can answer those if I can. Thanks for listening.